Hello, you're with Love of Learning, a podcast focused on transforming the world through education and self-education. My name is Dian Stanchev and I'm your host. In these uncertain times, we need to come stronger than before, both at physical and mental level for us, our friends and families, and especially our children. Are we ready for these quick changing times to adapt to work, life locked at home? How can we bring ourselves up to speed with the global economic and mental crisis caused by national lockdowns and physical isolation? Let's act now instead of react when it is too late. Today, our guest is Stella Rivaldes. She's an artist, military wife, health and self-defense enthusiast, and has over 10 years of homeschooling and unschooling her two children. She has gone through a deep health struggle with autoimmune condition that started eight years ago and managed to start her healing journey all alone and has never stopped evolving her level of expertise on family well-being. We'll talk about how to develop physical and mental self-defense at home and healing protocols of defeating Hashimoto. Recently, she has started her journey on sharing her experience with family and personal wellness with her podcast, Seeking Wellness Liberty, the link you can find in the description below. Hi, Stellary, and thanks for sharing your experience on healing yourself and your view on educating our children. Hello, Diane. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I must admit I have never trained self-defense and it's something I would like to work on as it is a required skill to defend, to defend yourself and your friends and family. How did you get into self-defense and what did it give you? Well, honestly, uh, the first time that I ever thought about it was, you know, when I was very young child, I was bullied a lot. And then when I was a young adult, I went into the military um, and learned a little bit, not a lot about self-defense, but I always felt that it was important because I'm a very small person. And so unfortunately, since that's not something I can change, I have to level my playing field by learning and uh, you know, giving myself tools, whether it's you know, physical ability to defend myself or uh, training with weapons, and as a woman, I feel like it's very important for a woman to be able to defend herself because if she is attacked and she does not have skills to uh, debilitate her attacker and get away or a weapon to be able to deter her attacker, then she's a victim. And I don't want to ever be that. And I refuse to accept that just because I'm small that I can't fight you know, <laughs> so that's it. Yeah, I, I really like your, your mindset, and uh, I'm, I, I totally agree that everyone should learn how to self-defense. Uh, just, uh, I'd like to know what are the exercises you do with your children for physical and mental strength and self-defense at home. Well, with my kids, um, I started very young teaching them that you know fighting is not the goal. We don't want to fight with people. We want to diffuse confrontation. So if you are faced with someone, I try to explain to them how to, um, you know, try to calm the situation, whether it's through talking to someone or even just simply walking away. Sometimes that's not an option, but sometimes it is. And teaching them how to deal with other kids who might be threatening or bullying um, and teaching them how not to be a bully. Because, 
your kids can be the bully sometimes and you don't recognize it. And I think it's important to teach them not to be attacking other people because children are very egocentric and they, you know, the whole world revolves around their, their childhood, their toys, their food, everything. So teaching kids, my kids, how to try to make peace with their friends or even with their enemies is one of the biggest things I've always felt was important. I always taught them that fighting is a last resort. And um, I wanted to get them involved very young in learning how to defend themselves. When I, when my daughter was old enough, I felt her maturity level at the age of 12. Uh, I felt she was ready to start learning basic uh, training. And so we went with some other women and some retired uh, police officers and, and military members who would teach us how to shoot um, handguns. And so I brought her to start teaching her at a very young age, this is how you safely handle a firearm. Because if you're ever faced in a position where you need to use this to protect, if your mother is being attacked and you need to protect your family, this is how you do it in a safe manner because I don't think children should ever just uh, be afraid, but rather have knowledge and understanding how to use these tools safely to protect themselves and their family. And then we recently got our son into jujitsu so that he can learn some physical training, how to control his body and his mind and learn how to use his body to protect himself or others. And uh, I want my daughter to do it too, but she was not interested. <laughs> so those are just some ways that we are trying to teach them, guide them to learn how to protect themselves and possibly their friends. Because I've seen my daughter protect her little brother from other kids, you know, when they were trying to bully. And, you know, she's very protective of him because she's much older. And I felt like my, my son should know that as well. If he's with a small child and a bully comes around and he needs to protect that child, I want him to have the skills, whether it's talking to them and explaining, you know, how to deal with the situation, the child, the smaller child, or just simply diffusing the situation with the, the bully, um, because it's better to be an example of a peacemaker than to just instantly want to fight. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful approach. So it looks like basically everything starts in the mindset of the child to try to protect others and always avoid fighting and trying to calm others. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important. Peacemaker is, a, I think, a title that we should all aspire to. And I think the only way, at least for me, the best way for me to be a peacemaker is not only to have the mental and emotional tools, but also to be prepared. Um, it, I can't be a peacemaker if I don't have the ability to fight in the event that I am attacked. Um, and so just simply trying to calm someone down may not work, that, but it, you should have the ability to defend yourself. So it's like the idea that if you have the, the weapon, whether it's your body or an external weapon that, is, um, that you are trained 
that you are very proficient in utilizing that weapon, someone else will understand. And often I hear this from men that I've listened to who are involved in martial arts. They talk about how when you know how to use your body to protect yourself, other people who might uh, be tempted to bully you will be less likely to bully you because they know you can defend yourself. And so it's like, if you have the weapon and you don't need to use your weapon, it's the idea of keeping the sword sheathed, but having it ready. And when you have the ability and you have the sword and you keep it in the sheath, you have something more about your life, about your mindset. You're ready and able to protect yourself, but it takes more strength to keep that sword cheap than to just automatically pull it out and use it. It takes a much more self-control and a humility to be able to have this, the strength to keep that weapon in the sheath. Does that make sense? Yes, perfect. I think I've seen that in, in my childhood as well. If the bullies see that one, one of the kids is good in fighting, they just try to become his friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, you don't want to get beat up but then you also want to have a friend who can protect you <laughs> yes 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 very good very good so so, so, so when, what do you think from what age uh, should children start physical training and how we should approach them in order to get them into into physical training like push-ups or i don't know body? well i never really thought about it until i took my son to the jujitsu class and i saw a little girl she could not have been more than four years old okay. and she was amazing i couldn't believe the skill she had she was actually partnered with a little boy who was even taller than her and she was able to flip him over and pin him down and i was like what this little girl she's so amazing her her skill level and she could understand and it was obvious that she had been training since she was old enough to understand. And so I think as early as possible, when you're rolling around on the floor with your kids, climbing on each other and playing and wrestling, it's like you learn how to play together as parents with your children and you let them climb on you and, and then you climb on them. It's like, it's a playing thing to begin with to learn when someone is bigger than you or someone is stronger than you. And it's like, I think just playful wrestling is a good tool with little ones, just teaching them how to use their bodies and how to be gentle. I have to, I had to teach my son at a very young age to be gentle with me because he was very physical and he wanted to jump on me and he wanted to clobber me. And sometimes he would hurt me. And I had to tell him and my husband had to teach him that he needs to be more gentle with me because he was, uh, you know, hurting me, but it's okay to play at the same time. Um, as long as you know how to go about doing it, that you're not going to actually purposely harm someone. And uh, it's different. It's like um, training. They said, when you're training, the goal is not to hurt someone. It is to learn. Um, you train so that someday, if you are in a position where you have to protect yourself, you have the skill. You're not trying to necessarily harm someone, but rather you're trying to protect yourself and also 
debilitate your attacker. I like, I like this. I like this answer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. We, we should start playing with our children from early age, like uh, wrestling, yeah. wrestling in a game and uh, teaching them like that. Yeah. I think it's a very, very good approach. Little girls, they learn much faster when they're small with this game. They're very strategic. Whereas boys are just very, very physical automatically because they like to use their bodies and explore the world with their bodies so much more. And um, it's interesting, even the teacher in the class said that, you know, little girls, you don't want to take it easy on them. They told the boys in the class, do we take it easy on girls? No, because the little girls, they, they learn faster and they are very strategic. And so you want to treat them just like they are equal on the mat when you're learning together and training together, because someday you're going to be you know, likely faced with uh, uh, someone who's bigger than you and stronger than you. So they have to be trained from the get-go. And so uh, I think that's so important. And little boys, I think learning how to play together physically in a way that they can have fun and not feel like it's bad. Because I think sometimes people are afraid of their children wrestling and fighting, but that's just natural for all of us you know sports they're all it's all fighting in some way or another so why is it wrong if this is something we enjoy to play it's all kind of a, a method to fight in, in who wins and who loses i think that's good it teaches us how to accept loss it teaches us how to be human uh humble when we win and respect each other and the competition is um I think good for our psyche. It teaches us how to grow and, and be challenged to move forward. So, yeah. Uh, in, in sports, I don't like competing with others. I would, I would like to, to, to understand it as competing with yourself. Yeah. And this way is much better because if you, if you lose uh, and you play again with the same guy and then you get better and you lose again, it's still better. Right, and you're you're advancing against what you were yesterday. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's good. I like that. So, uh, what yeah. is mental defense for you, and how do you present it to your children? Mental defense. Yes. Um, so, well, I never use that term, but that's a good term. I like that. Um, I would say that um, mental. I I look at it as essentially mental health, because when you are learning how to think, control your thoughts, learn how to, uh, I guess, uh, take your time to think through uh, problems, think um, consciously through challenges, uh, you are strengthening that muscle, that, that mental muscle. And uh, one of the things that I teach my children from a very young age, because when children become self-aware and they start to have thoughts and feelings and they express those thoughts and feelings through their words, I personally believe that it's important to teach them that the thought comes first and then it comes out through the emotion and then the words. So if you are coming out of your mouth is coming words that are negative and self-destructive, then it's coming from somewhere. 
first you go back to the feelings and then the feelings come from the thoughts. And if your thoughts are unhealthy and they are negative, if they are uh, harmful to yourself, then those are not, those are not what I believe to be uh, truthful and they're not of light and love. And so the idea that I teach my children is that one, your words are extremely powerful and two, your thoughts, you have to teach yourself to take your thoughts captive the same way that if you were in a battlefield and your enemy was coming towards you and you caught them, but you wanted to find out if that enemy or, well, there may not be an enemy, they might be a friendly. So if you look at them, evaluate them, and they are of light and love, and they are of things that are good, then they are your friend, they are your compatriot. But if you find out they are dark and evil and negative and self-harming, then you know they're the enemy. And that's the point at which you take them captive and you give them to your general or whomever, you know, you get rid of them. You don't allow them to continue harming you. You get it away and let it go and push it away from your mind. And that way it doesn't fester and turn into feelings which are harmful. And then that turns into words that are harmful. I wish I wish we all could practice what you are just saying and doing with our children because it's a very, very important thing. I'm also into, into self-learning and uh, finding the root cause of all the negative emotions, which is actually, as you said, is the thoughts. Yeah. And I, to- I totally agree with this. So when you have this negative thought early before the emotion is even started and the words are out, you can stop everything in, in the beginning. That's right. That's right. And, and I, I think visualizing it sometimes can really help with people because we do a lot of us are very visual learners and so if you can see something it's better to understand if you do something sometimes it's easier to understand when you see pictures or images or watch someone playing a musical instrument and you can hear it and see it at the same time you you learn many people learn faster that way and so when i want to learn what my thoughts are doing, I have to visualize what am I looking at? So I look at it as a battlefield and it is the battlefield of the mind. And I look at those thoughts as, okay, I'm capturing them. And are they enemy? Are they friendly or are they foe? And so, yeah, that's, that's the visualization I think is really important um, because it is a battle in our mind and we have to be the one to take control of it. We cannot allow People say, I can't control my thoughts. I can't control my feelings. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You have the power to control those things. You just have to slow down and start to look at it. What are you looking at? Don't don't see it as it's coming at you because then you are letting go of the power, but you have the power. You are in control of those things. You just have to slow down and and evaluate what's going into your mind. Are you believing the truth? Or are you believing a lie? If you believe a lie, it's going to develop into an unhealthy feeling and it's going to come out of your mouth. So basically take ownership of our thinking habits, right? Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. Amazing, amazing. You have lived in different places with your kids in the USA. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your journey from public school to homeschooling and unschooling? Yeah, um, well, 
when I first moved, uh, after getting married to my husband, uh, we moved across the country from the East Coast, from the West Coast to the East Coast. At that time, um, my daughter was just about ready to start school. And we realized at the time that um, we didn't really have the, the, the means to send her to a private school. And because of my own negative experience with public school, I didn't want her to go to a public school. And so we just decided we were going to homeschool. And I found a program uh, called Alpha Omega Publications, and I had used them as a teenager myself. I liked it. And so I thought it would be a good start for her. I tested her. Um, they have a like a test that's more of a it. it it's like an assessment of where she's at. And she tested very advanced. And I was, I was, I thought that's good because I taught her how to read and I taught her how to write and I taught her to, how to identify, you know, children start with colors and shapes and things like that. And all of those things were things I started teaching her before she was an age to go to school. And so then by the time it was, she was supposed to start kindergarten, she was already to the next grade. And so we said, well, then we'll just move forward to the next grade. And she started, skipped kindergarten altogether and went to first grade. And when we started that program, it gave us a structure since I had never known how to do homeschool. It gave me a structure and we just learned, you know, it took a lot trial and error. Um, the first six months were very hard trying to figure out what worked for us. I had to return to my previous education of early childhood development and education to think, what does my daughter need? How does she learn? And I realized very quickly, she's a visual learner. So I had to start getting whiteboards and visual things, tools to help her because just, you know, reading a book or or writing or, you know, just talking through things did not work for her. And so we had to use a lot of visual tools for her to learn. And that once I figured that out, it, it made all the difference. She became very self-sufficient, very self-motivated. Um, I gave her a lot of freedom uh, where she did school, you know, how, when she did school. We had a very leisure morning, waking up together, having breakfast, and I gave her the, really the, the, the freedom to choose and how long she was gonna work on it. And I gave her the motivation that when she worked on the school, uh, when she was done with it, then she would have some responsibilities to help out in the house, cleaning and things, because those are life skills. And then she could have free play the rest of the day. And so she would get things done very quickly and do her, uh, you know, helping around the house. And then she would just go and play uh, outside with neighbors and friends for the rest of the afternoon and, you know, really just get a lot of exercise and sunshine and, you know, fresh air and be outside for many hours during the day, which I think she, she really thrived in that, in that kind of schedule. But I did realize very quick that um, with both of my children, and they're very different children, like their personalities and what their needs are very different. Even though they're very different in their learning styles and personality, the structure was very key. 
I had to create boundaries and I had to create structure. Even if it was different than a traditional school day, it was still structured. And that gave the children a sense of confidence and um, I, um, I guess it just helps them to feel stable you know, throughout the day, knowing that this is the time when we do these things. And this is the time when we eat. And this is the time when we rest because there was a nap time every day. And there was no eating time every day. And it gave them a sense of regularity that gave them a freedom. So they know what to look forward to each day. Yeah, I also agree that boundaries and structure is important to get early, early, early in life. You mentioned that you I was saying even infants, yes. creating a, yeah, creating a structure even with infants is so important um, because even though they are, you know, kind of just going throughout their day with their basic needs, giving them times every day that are regular helps them to get used to it. And, and I don't believe in forcing it, but at the same time, it, it does, they naturally get into a, a schedule if you guide with those boundaries, so. Okay, so basically if you don't have structure for, for your children, instead of you leading the way through, through the day, they'll be leading the day. <laughs> yes, that is very true. <laughs> that <laughs> so, is not fun. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not. You, you said that you had a bad, bad experience in, in school, so. Um, what, what yeah. do you think uh, should be fixed in school and what kind of experience you had, if you can briefly mention? Well, it's hard because I've, I've gone to many, many schools. As a child, I went to, hmm, I think I went to, let's see. I, I think I went to like anywhere from half a dozen to 12 different schools. Uh, I moved a lot. And then on top of that, uh, just not being, not being able to thrive in the schools that I was in. Um, I did drop out of school when I was a, uh, let's see, I think I was a, a sophomore in high school uh, or maybe a junior. And then, so that would be my like 11th year in high school. And um, that's when I homeschooled myself. Um, I didn't like the environment of school and it just wasn't, it wasn't a healthy one. And the public school system has become, it's not organic anymore. It's, it's, it's controlled by people who are very far away. You know, the school systems are run and all of the curriculum is controlled by people who decide for the, you know, the world, the whole entire state or country, what they're supposed to learn. And unfortunately, I don't believe that that is good for everyone. I think everyone is different we learn differently and we need to learn different things. I don't think it's necessary for most kids to be learning the subjects they're learning past 
I would say even past third grade, I think it should be more uh, catered to what they are interested in and also what they are good at. Because if you find out that your child is very, very uh, drawn towards science, like my son, and you don't let them naturally gravitate in that direction and spend more time in that area, then you are suppressing that love, that desire, that natural interest. And then they are forced to do things that maybe they aren't good at, they're not interested in, and may never affect their lives in any way at all. So outside of learning basic life skills and basic reading, writing, arithmetic, history, if someone is drawn towards something like science, like my son in, I want the majority of his day to focus on that because he is extremely smart in that area, that, that academic field. But he's not as interested in things like stories, uh, you know, writing, poetry, or, you know, things like that. He loves reading, but he's not really into writing. And he loves, you know, learning about, you know, the stars and the planets and um, you know, biology and all of the different areas of science. And I want to encourage that so that if that's what he is gifted to do, if he's gifted to become a scientist or, uh, you know, do something great in that field, then I want him to start now having that passion flourish uh, rather than suppressing and preventing him by saying, oh, we can't do that right now. It's time to do, you know, this or that. So I, I limit now what he has to do and I allow him to gravitate towards the subjects that he is excelling and interested. And I allow him to really, um, I think most children, if they are allowed to just explore the things that they find to be fascinating, they will learn naturally because they will ask questions. They will be curious and allowing that curiosity to grow and flourish in no matter what subject it is, gives them a love of learning. I like this. It's so. a, a, another, another good approach, I yeah. think. So, uh, if you could have like three subjects introduced into public schools, what will they be? What do you think it will we need? Uh, <clears throat> honestly, I think they should reduce the subjects they have in school. There's too many. <clears throat> I think that basic reading, writing, uh, basic history, um, basic math are all very necessary. Once you learn those things, I think that allowing children to find their interests and passion and what they excel in and encouraging that would be a better way um, and not crowding classrooms. Too many classrooms are too big. Teachers are overwhelmed and they cannot really guide the children in learning when they're simply trying to corral a huge you know, uh, <laughs> herd of children. And um, unfortunately that's a challenge I know 
that many people have expressed problems they think are happening in schools and not knowing how to really help it. But I think that it's, it's, a, it's a much bigger problem than just the school system. And I don't believe money is the is this solution. I actually think that uh, allowing more um, people to have choices of how they uh, teach their children and allowing people to have more freedom in what they teach their children is going to allow us to uh, really make those classrooms smaller, um, reduce the burden on the teachers uh, who are called to teach because right now there are definitely not enough teachers. And I think that's because parents don't necessarily know they can be teachers. And more, I would encourage more people to look into things like homeschooling and um, alternative types of schools like charter schools, because they do really look at education in a different way. And it's not determined by an institution. It's determined by the people who truly do love it and the parents who truly, uh, they have a, an emotional connection because it's their children and they will have the opportunity to come alongside them in that learning process. Um, and I know that can be a difficult thing to figure out, but there are many ways to to do it. And um, many different people are figuring that out now. Like, you know, we see that because people are forced into these uh, lockdowns, which I don't agree with, but at the same time, I am looking at the silver lining. It's promoting more people to recognize the value of being with their family and teaching their own children and finding out that they do have the capability and you don't have to have any credentials because you can learn with them. And um, just that simple desire and love for them, uh, the desire to teach them is all you need. That's all you need, so. Yeah, yeah. I think there is no better teacher than the parents and parents should be taking yeah. this in their hands. Yeah, and fathers especially, which is very interesting that I, I'm sorry, I just wanted to add prior, at least in, in this country, in America, prior to the Industrial Revolution, which was in the early 1900s, most of the educational uh, literature was directed specifically at fathers because fathers were the primary teachers and leaders of the family, whether it was a business or a farm whatever they were doing, the family worked together and they were partners, mother and father were partners in teaching the children. Fathers were the ones who were the leader that taught most of the skills and then the educational materials were directed at fathers, which I find that to be something we could very much benefit from returning and encouraging fathers to know that they have such an important role in teaching children. They have such an important skill because children look up to the father in a way that is different than the mother. And um, they, they have a unique balance in that relationship. And I think that children, especially uh, boys, really 
they learn how to be that kind of teacher leader uh, from a father. And a, a daughter will learn what to look for when she sees her father, she sees a, a, a leader who someday for her will be, this is the kind of uh, heart, this is the kind of mind, this is the kind of person that I want to be with. And they're going to look up to the father is as their as their partner in the future when they have a healthy balancing relationship in that in that dynamic. So yeah. I hope more fathers hear you and jump into uh, homeschooling and educating their children because remember when I was growing up, most of the fathers I know of my friends they go home and start the TV. <laughs> well, you're doing it. You are doing, you're being the example, right? Because this is a journey for you and your family, your passion and starting this podcast about learning the love of learning. You yes. are actually being an example as a father who wants to come alongside his children to learn, be a partner in the family and return to a way of life where it's a symbiotic relationship in the family. Thank you, thank you. What is, what is unschooling for you and how did you apply this method for your children? So this year is the first year I really attempted unschooling. Um, and what it is for me, I'm learning more about it. I'm going, I'm going through, you know, searching in my own journey of what that means to unschool. But for me right now, it is finding those specific areas that my children are most passionate about, interested in, and allowing their natural curiosity to grow in whatever direction it goes. And if they want to try out something, for example, if my uh, son, who very much enjoys to bake with me, if he wants to learn the chemistry of how baking is a science, then I want to teach him now while he's young and he's so ready to learn all of those skills. And some of the greatest bakers in the world, you know, started off like some of the most famous, you know, bakers, not that fame is important, but some of the most famous bakers you see in the world, those, you know, patisserie chefs and things started loving it when they were children. They got to get their hands into the food and, and create something. And it's both art and science in one. And I love that, that we can kind of inspire that curiosity at a very young age um, and tell them it's, it's good to be curious and try things. Um, and then also just not having such a, uh, not having such a hard and fast uh, need to stick to a program. I used to use a very uh, strict method of curriculum. I don't do that anymore. I have two subjects that I use a specific curriculum through Alpha Omega Publications for my son, mainly because I did not have the tools myself to create a curriculum for those two subjects. But then with the others, I'm doing something more organic. I'm allowing him to explore. We go out once a week and we do a exploration in nature with a group and allow him to play outside and you know really explore the forest and you know get in the dirt and play. And then also it gives us opportunities to find things, you know, 
um, in nature that maybe he wouldn't see at home in a book or on a screen. And, uh, and then also history, we are going through allowing him um, to learn history through his learning style, which is much more interactive and visual and um, allowing him to watch things and uh, you know, read things or participate in trips to historical places so that he can be curious. If he sees an article uh, in a magazine or newspaper that we have that talks about a place and I want to show him what it is in the pictures and explain what these places are and what they do. And then sometimes maybe we'll go look for a video on, you know, YouTube or, you know, uh, there's places where you can search for videos like Amazon Prime and, and things like that. You know, other streaming services. Um, we use one called PureFlix that has a lot of really great uh, historical documentaries. And um, we love the drive-through history series, which is a man who drives places and he talks about all of the different structures and the history of those places. And it is in very entertaining for the little kids because he's he's kind of funny and he gets dressed up and he drives you know a fun jeep all through these different places all over the world and it kind of makes it interesting to explore. It's like the child is going on an exploration with him to those places to learn whether it's like the Colosseum or you know uh, the uh, what is it, the Pantheon or you know, all sorts of places in, in um, he's gone in, in America and in Europe. And it's very fascinating to him, my son, because he feels like he's going on an exploration with this guy who's teaching all about these places and talking about what they did here in the past. Um, so that's kind of an organic way that we're going through learning and, you know, Books are very important to us. We go to the library a lot and I let my son check out as many books as he wants and he can read them as often as he likes, as long as it's not when he's supposed to be cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then of course I do a, every day I try to have him practice penmanship. So he practices writing so that he is um, proficient in his cursive and his printing because I think those are very important skills that they don't teach anymore in school. And so I want him to have that skill so that no matter what, he has the ability to communicate, you know, through writing um, and, uh, you know, just really allowing him to explore things that he's interested in and making sure he has the basics of survival needs, things that he needs to be able to function in the world. Um, because like I said, past third grade, there are so many subjects that are required that don't necessarily help anyone do anything later in life. It doesn't really help you to do, you know, whatever you're going to do. I, th I think the same way. There are lots of subjects that are not needed and we can replace them with it's <laughs> some, some subjects that are tailored for what they need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's a, a, the, I think the education is a bit outdated for the 2020 very much, yes, I agree, 100%. Mm. 
what do you, what kind of task do you give your children to do at home like you said um, cleaning do they give them to cook as well from time to time by themselves yes definitely um my son he's nine and uh he can make his own eggs he can you know fry his own uh, turkey bacon or something you know like he's learning he knows how to warm up things in a pan on the stove uh like if he's you know, um, making a taco or something he can do very basic things right now i'm one by one you know teaching him little skills when we're cooking uh because you know i don't want him just going in there and trying to do everything all at once once you know uh, i also require both of my children to be a part of cleaning because they're going to have to clean their own home when they have a home and it's a life skill and no one's going to do it for them <laughs> so they have to do it in order to learn how uh, to take care of you know their space and uh, so they both have to help in the house to you know clean um, and then we teach them at a fairly young age how to do things like mowing the grass and you know raking up leaves and things like that outside so that they too can you know help out taking out you know trash or, or you know recycle or any of these things it's all just kind of part of taking care of your home and it's important for them to learn those skills at a young age because no one's going to do it for you when you grow up so you might as well learn it young get used to it feel like okay I can take care of myself and be confident and not feel like when you when you are on your own you don't know how to take care of yourself you don't know how to clean your your home or do your laundry or cook your own food you're not dependent on anyone else you have the ability and the skill yourself so yeah I, I think it's a good way to educate strong characters in our children from early age to be right. independent and uh, yeah, yeah there's life skills Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what is seeking wellness liberty for you and why did you have the need to start your podcast? What is the message you want to give? Well, um, so seeking wellness liberty, it took me a while to really come up with my, my name because I thought about all the things that are important to me and what am I doing? What am I goal? Uh, what am I trying to do? Well, One thing that I've been doing for many, many years is seeking truth. So seeking was a very important part of this whole journey. And what am I seeking when I'm seeking truth? I'm seeking ways that I can be well. My lifestyle, uh, my nutrition, you know, self-healing, mental, emotional, spiritual, all of these things are part of a wellness umbrella for me. And so I'm seeking the truth about wellness that, that, you know, from people who have specific experience and knowledge in different areas of wellness, uh, whether it's self-defense, whether it's nutrition, whether it's, you know, the cleaning out your home of toxins that are harmful to our bodies. Um, and then, you know, learning how to incorporate all of those things is like that wellness umbrella. Liberty, it is the ultimate idea of freedom. When you have liberty, you have the choice. You have the freedom to take on your life. And you know how we've been taught, you know, uh, extreme ownership. 
I love that book. I actually have that book and it's a good, it's a very good book. I very much believe in that idea of extreme ownership. Liberty to me is extreme ownership because you're taking your whole life and your independence into your own hands. Everything about your mental, your emotional, your physical, your lifestyle, when you take it into your hands, you have the ability to change anything. You have the freedom to live your life the way you want to live it. The minute that you give someone else the responsibility for anything in your life, you no longer have the authority or control over that part of your life. You can't change it. You can't make it better if someone else is in control of it. So when you take extreme ownership of everything in your life and you choose, then you're the one that gets to choose where you go, what you do, how you live. And so it's that extreme ownership. And so it had to be incorporated in what I was doing because just seeking out liberty, or I mean, just seeking out wellness is good until you get to a point where someone else is telling you what you have to do to be well. And I don't, I don't accept that. I need to choose what is well for me. Someone can tell me what I have to eat or what I have to believe because that's not my decision. I have free will for a reason. And so I have to be in charge of it so that I have the best wellness life style for my body, for my mind, for my spirit, for my family. You know, we work together as a unit. We have a, a contract, a mutual understanding. You know, we work as partnership and we include our children in that partnership because as they become older and they have the ability to process problems and work through their, their thoughts, we give them the opportunity to make choices and have input in our family decisions because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a partnership. And when you include everyone's idea into that partnership and you have um, equal say, well, not exactly equal, but you know what I mean? Like everyone has a say, everyone has a voice in the family. And the parents right now are the ones who are leading and uh, we want our children's input when it comes to things we do together as a family, how we do them. We have the ultimate uh, veto power but at the same time, we want them to learn how to give their input and make decisions and you know, be a part of the family together, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally understand. Um, how did you put, you, you said that you had an autoimmune disease and how did you put yourself into a situation with an autoimmune disease, immune disease like uh, Hashimoto's thyroid, thyroiditis, yes. and. So uh, is it food, emotions, toxins? What do you think it caused it? Uh, a lot of everything. <laughs> I, I, um, I would say that um, it's very likely that there were toxic uh, chemicals, things that were put into my body uh, without my knowledge, without my choice, um, because I did not have informed consent. Unfortunately, the medical system does not give us the information we should have before we are given 
things like medicines or injections. Therefore, I had things put in my body that I didn't know were not good for me. I also didn't know because I was raised in America with the standard American diet and all of the advertisement and the stores, they have the food and they have the labels and they tell you, this is good, this is good. We eat these things, these are what we eat. Well, I didn't know until I was older, until I was probably in my teens and twenties that I needed to start looking at what was in my food. And I was always quite health conscious because I wanted to be healthy. As a very young person, I was very fascinated with sports and nutrition and uh, you know exercise, at, even as a teen. But then when I was in my 20s, uh, probably my late 20s, I um, moved across the country to a very different climate from where I was. And I started having all sorts of very negative symptoms all at one by one by one. And they just piled on really fast. And I felt like my body was just um, betraying me. And none of the doctors could help me. None of them had answers that were really concrete. Uh, they all kind of said different things. None of it was, they didn't want to uh, admit that any of it was connected. When I would tell them, you know, these are very connected. They have to be connected because it's all happening one by one by one. And my body is one unit. It's not like separate pieces. So I had to kind of start searching elsewhere. I found a book called The Root Cause um, by Isabella Wentz. And that sort of got me on the road to teaching myself how to heal. Um, learning about nutrition and what goes in my body. That was the first and biggest effect on my body. That was the number one thing that made the difference for me was changing my diet. It was a long and hard process because it's not easy to change your diet overnight. It takes time and learning about the food and what affects your body. You know, elimination diets are an important process of that. And then also I've been also learning how to eliminate toxins from my life, things that go on my skin, things that, you know, use to clean my house, things that are in my house that I use. I don't use a microwave. I don't use plastic if I can avoid it. Um, we try to only use things like stainless steel, glass, uh, stoneware, um, uh, you know, pottery, those kinds of things. Uh, we try to avoid wood also. I do use wood. I actually use wood utensils when I go out. If I want to go eat somewhere, I have a, a little package of wood utensils, the fork and a spoon and a knife and everything, even a, a straw made of bamboo, because then I'm not wasting garbage. You know, I'm not creating more waste with the uh, disposable stuff, but I also have the ability to eat something um, and uh, I can take food with me and have something, you know, and you can do it with metal utensils, but I just happen to like the wooden ones. I thought it was a, a fun little way to take my own utensils. Um, but yeah, just learning all of these things one by one, uh, it was a long process learning that I couldn't expect myself to um, change everything all overnight. I had to be patient and, and watch and pay attention to everything in my body, be very self-aware of what I was feeling, um, the symptoms that I was feeling and changes that I noticed. And sometimes it took a little while. I had to 
give it a little time with some of the things that I did uh, to change my life because I live mostly paleo now, very natural, uh, very raw food diet, uh, you know, mostly, you know, grass fed, free range, wild, and especially uh, organic when it comes to produce. And those are all things that are very important to me because they have really made a difference in my body and how it feels, how I function. I'm much healthier now than I've ever been. It took about almost 10 years to get to this place. And I still am on the journey. I'm not done yet. There are still things that I'm battling, you know, to, to try to figure out what, what is this next step that will help with this thing that I'm still struggling with? Is it part of my diet? Is it something else? And it's, it's very hard to, um, especially when you don't have a lot of, uh, support from, you know, a, a doctor or someone, if you can find natural doctors, like, uh, uh, functional medicine doctors are often very good at looking at the body as a whole and what you do with sleep and food and exercise and your environment and how it affects your body, um, and your microbiome is a very important part of that. So, you know, and there, you can use elimination diets temporarily. And then once you get to a place where your body is at a, a, st a homeostasis, then you can start reintroducing things. And I think uh, one of the biggest keys I would say is seasonal, like a seasonal diet is very important because our bodies are not meant to eat the same food all year round. And it's, you will notice this if you pay attention, raw vegetables are fresh in the summertime. When you get into the wintertime, raw vegetables don't grow naturally in most places, you know, the seasons change. So the things you eat change and your body goes into a hibernation state where you can eat things that are more processed like soup and um, you know things like broth. And uh, if you do eat fruits and vegetables, they're usually processed in a way that like preserved, you know, fruit preserved into uh, you know, fruit preserves and, and vegetables that have been cooked into an easier, more digestible uh, food. And it's easier on your gut when your body is in a more of a um, hibernation state in the winter time. So that made a huge difference for me as well. Cause I noticed right away when I changed my diet that in the winter, if I ate a lot of raw fruits and vegetables, I would get a lot of problems. Um, but once I started realizing in the winter, it's better to preserve those vegetables naturally, not with chemical, but natural preservation, my body was happier. <laughs> this is exactly what our parents, uh, maybe grandparents, did hundred years ago. Right. Pick, exactly. Picking stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If only we knew that information now. Uh, I, I sometimes I wish so desperately that I could know what our great 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 grandparents knew about how yeah. to prepare food naturally. There are some good books. I'm learning now that there are good books that teach those old uh, traditional methods of food preparation and so now when i make food i often make food from very very raw ingredients most of what i make is from scratch i do not buy things that are pre-cooked or pre-packaged uh with the exception of a few very minimal uh like i think one thing that we that we purchase is a a, a little 
it's like a seed and nut cracker type of thing. And we buy these, they're grain free. And they, you know, they're a great little thing to eat some hummus or something like that. And uh, so we buy stuff like that sometimes, but it's not very often that we buy packaged food because most of the packaged food has stuff in it that we don't want to eat and it's not food. So if it's not food, why do you eat it? <laughs> is it? Is it by accident like that? Who knows? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, can, can you share your experience with the 30-day autoimmune protocol that you did that helped you with Hashimoto? I'd like yeah. to know more. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, about, I'm thinking it was 2016, um, I finally got to a point where I needed to really do something drastic because I was very ill. And um, I found an autoimmune protocol. Um, I can't remember where it was. I want to say it was uh, the paleo mom. She's a doctor, Sarah Valentine, and she had an autoimmune protocol. And then also um, the uh, Hashimoto's doctor, uh, Isabella Wentz, also had an autoimmune protocol as well. And I kind of created my own using theirs uh, as a structure. Uh, because I eat kosher, I also don't eat certain things that are in the paleo diet, uh, like shellfish. And um, so I avoided those things, but I still incorporated the idea of, you know, very uh, fresh vegetables, very fresh fruit, uh, raw ingredients as often as possible, free range eggs, you know, free range animals. Um, I go straight to the farmer to get the meat that I buy uh, to know that they are good husbandry of their animals and loving their animals and taking, it's a natural regenerative farm. And then, you know, 30 days of this elimination where I had mostly only ate fish, uh, some certain types of meat uh, because of my, my diet, um, some vegetables and some fruits, and that was it. And for 30 days I did that and it was not, it wasn't the worst thing in the world because I was able to eat as much or as often as I needed to. So I was never hungry, um, but I did have time where my body was sort of going through a detox or withdrawal from things that I was eating before. And within 30 days, I saw a drastic reduction of symptoms that I had been having for many years. And then I started slowly reintroducing things after that 30 days. And it made it doable because I can't live on that kind of diet forever. And no one should live on any of those eliminate diet, elimination diets forever. You, you use it to get your body into homeostasis. And then you gradually test out what works and what doesn't. And if I started eating something and I noticed a symptom, for example, I don't eat many grains. If I do, it's usually organic oats or basmati rice that's aged because those things don't bother my body, but things like corn does. And so I know that if I cheat and I have some popcorn <laughs> the next day, I'm going to have puffy eyes or I might have a headache or something. But I know now that when I eat those things, that's what I expect. If I choose to eat it, I know the symptom I'm going to have. If I choose not to, I'm eliminating that from my life. So it gives me the, the ability to 
know what's going on in my body and have the choice instead of feeling my body is the one in control. So, so basically you've removed sugar, uh, gluten, dairy in those 30 days. So yeah, yeah. And nuts even. Um, nuts, because, okay. because uh, so nuts can be something that can negatively affect people who have autoimmune disease because uh, sometimes it's because of uh, mold or things that come from the nuts if you are not able to get them fresh from my farm. And sometimes it's because of the uh, chemical composition of the nuts. It might not go well with your body at the time. Uh, there are certain things like I cannot eat a lot of nuts because they have uh, calcium oxalate. And for me, I tend to build up kidney stone and they are calcium oxalate. So if I eat too many nuts, then I will develop kidney stone. If I eat too much spinach, I will develop kidney stone. If I don't um, pay attention, if I'm eating too much of those things, then it actually harms my body. So I had to be very careful about how much I was eating of these things. Because even though we think nuts are healthy and spinach is healthy, if you too much of it can actually harm, at least it harms me, so. <laughs> it sounds you know your body very, very well. It's been years of learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it's this. It's important, I think. I think it's important for everybody, everybody yeah. to, to know what he, he or she should eat. And Yeah, listening to your body really is something that it takes time to develop those senses because uh, we don't recognize it, especially when we've been in a imbalance for so long. If you've had chronic problems with your gut for many years, you don't notice anymore when you eat something and you get indigestion because it's just so normal and natural for you that you just don't even, it doesn't register what what's going on in your body. So, yeah. Did you change, did you change your daily routine? And can you share, share life hacks you do during the day to keep you emotionally and physically well? So sleep was a really big one for me. Okay. Um, I realized very early on that my body, I'm a night owl. So I get my peak, uh, what is it called? REM sleep um, late in the morning. Um, I listened to a podcast with Dr. Rhonda Patrick and Dr. Walker, I believe. I think his name is Brian Walker. He's a sleep specialist. And I learned so much from him about this. Um, there's the lark who goes to bed early and wake up early. And there's the night owl who goes to bed late and wake up late. For me, if I go to bed late and I wake up late, I feel much more rested. If I go to bed early and I wake up early, I don't feel rested because I'm cutting off my body's sleeping cycle early when I would normally be having that, uh, the REM sleep and the non-REM sleep because there's a cycle. And so finding out how much sleep my body needed was a big one too. I don't require, um, I can't function on eight hours. I actually need more like nine or 10. Um, that is my peak performance hours of sleep. So if I get the nine or 10 hours, my body feels very well rested. I have much more energy and I'm able to get up without as much uh, struggle in the morning. Um, there's also been other factors 
you know, things that I know now, uh, vitamins that I take that help to uh, keep my energy levels at peak without um, constantly supplementing with things, uh, you know, stimulants. Um, I love tea and I do like coffee and I'm very picky about the kind that I drink. However, I don't want to be dependent on it in order for energy. And so using things like uh, vitamins and uh, what I eat and how I sleep have helped me to have a much healthier level of energy. And then another thing that I use is the sauna. I have a, a personal uh, sauna. It's an infrared sauna. And I use that, especially at night, it will help me to sleep very, very well. I often feel much better rested when I wake up in the morning after using the sauna within an hour or two before bed. And uh, it's also good for the autoimmune as well, <laughs> which I also learned from Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Um, so that's something that I've used personally. So yeah. I, have, I have the same, I have an infrared blanket as well. And yeah. it's very, very useful. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, what parts of your childhood memories uh, made you this resilient and strong person able to self-heal from Hashimoto and go back? So um, I would say that struggle made me strong. I was always a very strong-willed child, but the more struggle I faced, the stronger I got. Uh, I think that when parents tend to protect their children too much or they don't expose them to many stressors, um, it creates weakness. I think we have to have little bits of stress in order to become strong, to build up resilience, to build up immunity. Uh, you know, we have to expose our bodies and our minds to little bits at a time, you know, and it's better to control those things so that you're not faced with something unexpected and then it is uh, traumatic um, if you allow little moments of stress to a child when they are trying to learn how to tie their shoe if you come in and you immediately help them they are never going to be able to overcome that frustration but if you allow them the patience and you encourage them to learn and you show them and then you undo it and let them try it. And it takes a lot of time to let them get through it. And sometimes they will make a fit and throw, you know, screaming because they want you to do it for them. But that is, that is a mistake. If you do it for them, they will never gain that strength, that confidence to get through the little challenge because it's a little challenge. And so getting through challenges makes you stronger. Um, too many people now think we need to be safe. We need to never get sick. We need to never be around germs. But in fact, you know, being around and facing all of those things makes us more resilient and stronger and especially mentally and emotionally. If you do not have the ability to face and overcome a problem and learn the skill to get through it and then on the other side of it, have that sense of accomplishment, that, that, that confidence that comes with it because 
before you face it is the worst. It's so scary when you're facing something and you don't, you don't believe that you can get through it. But once you get through it, the sense of confidence it gives you is it makes you so much stronger the next time you're faced with something. Um, so yeah, that, that's for me, I think the biggest thing is I've dealt with so many different stressors or struggles that have made me stronger and more resilient. And I would just say I'm a very, very strong-willed person. And I don't blame people that are not super strong-willed. Uh, you know, it's, I don't think that it's just luck. I think that everyone has the capability to uh, get to a place where they are at their most resilient and strong. And everybody's different. People have different personalities. But for me personally, uh, because I was faced with a lot of um, things and I've always been a strong-willed person, I looked at the world as a challenge. And when people said, you can't, that only motivated me. <laughs> so. So, so basically throw small challenges to the children and help them overcome them and then yeah. enjoy with them. Right. I really enjoy our conversation. It's really resonates with me. And thank you, Stellary, for being my guest. I learned a lot from you and how people that listen to us can be inspired that self-healing from Hashimoto and any other disease is possible to do it by themselves with no doctors. And it's all about learning how your body works and how it should be fed and should be cleansed. And I think we need to take ownership of our health and thus be the amazing parent we can be and inspire radiant health in our children. Yeah. And thank you again being here and all the best of luck on your path. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Mike.